0: Friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. from our series on the Sermon on the Mount, I still intend to continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew, because Matthew, I'm sorry, the Sermon on the Mount, after all, is from chapter 5 all the way to chapter 7. So I intend to preach that entire section because that was actually one sermon of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we will continue with that uh, in the next weekend but for now we'll take a break and I'd like to give you a New Year's message uh, found from Joshua chapter 5 verses 2 to 9. So may I invite you to please rise from your seats right now. Let's have a look at Joshua 5 verses 2 to 9. At the count of three, let's all read together aloud please. One, two, read. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make for yourself flint knives and circumcise again the sons of Israel the second time. So Joshua made himself flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeat Haraloth. This is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war, died in the wilderness along the way after they came out of Egypt. For all the people who came out were circumcised, but all the people who were born in the wilderness along the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the sons of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, that is, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not listen to the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord had sworn that he would not let them see the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Their children whom he had raised up in their place, Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them along the way. Now when they had finished circumcising all the nation, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of that place is called Gilgal, to this day shall we bow our heads in prayer our heavenly father we thank you and bless you as we bid goodbye to 2019 and welcome 2020 we look forward with much anticipation and excitement because lord we know that you will walk together with us and so father we come before you asking that your grace be upon us all that we might receive your word with hearts that are open, with hearts that are willing to embrace your perfect will. Lord, give us the faith to believe in you and to believe in your promises. We pray, O God, that you might speak to us, not only generally as a congregation, but speak to us as individuals as well. I pray for myself, Lord, just use me as a mouthpiece for your people, that you might impart to your people your very message to them, both as a congregation and as individuals. And Lord, whatever is going to be achieved today, we will give you back the glory, the praises, and the thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand, please. Praise the Lord. I've entitled this morning sermon, Pain Before Gain. Now, as we go through this particular sermon, you will understand why I have entitled it as such. I just read a recent survey done uh, by a group in regard to what our people expect for the year 2020. And it came out in the survey that this 2020, 96%, we're talking about the Filipino population, 96% look forward to 2020 with much hope. However, I'd like to be able to say that the hope of the world is largely uncertain. It's a hope probably that is based on what they see around them. Probably there are some business prospects or some job prospects that make them quite hopeful for 2020. And yet, I still believe that whatever the Lord or whatever the world believes or sees as A certain kind of hope, it is largely uncertain. However, when it comes to us believers in Christ, I believe that our hope is certain. Why? Because we know that our God walks with us. The Bible says that He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will never abandon us. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The Bible says His mercies are new every morning. And so, because of that steadfast hope that we have, our hope is largely different from that of the world. Our hope is certain. Our hope is anchored on the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope is anchored on God. It is anchored on the promises of God. And therefore, we look forward to 2020 with much anticipation, much excitement, and much hope as well. Now, having said that, however, I believe that the blessing of God demands two things. One, we need to have the faith to believe in the perfect will of God. And secondly, we need to be willing to pay the cost for the blessing to come into our lives. Now, here's the question I need to be able to ask you Are you willing to believe God for the impossible, but that which is the perfect will of God? That's the first question. Are you willing to believe God for the impossible, but that which is the perfect will of God? The second question I'd like to ask you, just so we can reflect on this particular sermon, is are you willing to pay the cost before receiving the blessings of God? I believe these are questions that are quite relevant for us. Questions that we need to be able to answer. If you and I are going to be blessed and we all want to be blessed. Amen. Am I right in assuming that we all want to be blessed? Could you raise your hands if you want to be blessed? All right. We all want to be blessed. So again, we need to be able to answer these questions. Now, Joshua chapter 5 actually gives us a perfect illustration of what I'm about to share to you. But first of all, let's do a brief review of the history of Israel. Let's go back in time in the book of Exodus. And at that particular time, Israel had been enslaved in Egypt for about 400 years. In fact, They had occupied that place for about 430 years. And so they were under evil taskmasters. The Pharaoh was definitely opposed to them and wanted to destroy them, destroy their population. And so they cried out to God in mercy. They cried out to God, Lord, give us deliverance. Give us a deliverer. And God in his goodness, God in his grace, gave them Moses. And Moses was empowered by God. He was given the authority of God to perform many signs and many wonders. To be able to convince Pharaoh to release Israel so that they might be able to worship him. Now, of course, at that time, we know that Pharaoh somehow hardened his heart. Until finally, the straw that broke the camel's back was when the firstborn son of Pharaoh, together with all the firstborn sons of Egypt, they all died because of a plague when the angel of death passed over the whole land of Egypt. Now that actually convinced Pharaoh to finally release the people of Israel. But then as he releases the people of Israel, he changes his mind all over again. And he decides to give chase to the nation of Israel together with all his mighty armies. And so here Moses found himself in a quandary as he found himself right before the Red Sea. A mountain on the left side, a mountain on the right side, the Egyptian army on the back. And he cried out to God, and God performed a miracle. The Red Sea was divided into two. And we are told that Israel was able to cross through dry land. It was a miracle of epic proportions, something that had never, ever happened before. And so Pharaoh, together with his army, chased Israel all the way down into the Red Sea. But then, as soon as Israel was able to cross and, and Egypt was still giving chase, the water collapsed on Egypt together with Pharaoh, killing all their armies, killing all those who were giving chase to the nation of Israel. So now, Israel proceeds on through the wilderness. Actually, God did not allow them to pass through the short route. There was a short route. And the short route was going up north. But then if they did that, they would have met the giants. They would have met the Philistines. They would have met armies that would have probably scared them and intimidated them. And at that early stage, God wanted to train them. They knew or God knew that they weren't prepared as yet. And so God brings them through a longer route. But in this longer route, in the desert, in the wilderness, there was scarcity of water and scarcity of food. And they began to grumble and complain. They grumbled and complained against Moses. And Moses had a terrible time. He had a difficult time with these people. We're talking about 3 million people walking in the desert. And so finally, they were on the brink of entering The land of Canaan. The land that was promised to Abraham. The land flowing with milk and honey. But as they were about to enter the land of Canaan, they saw the giants. And they said that they appeared as grasshoppers before these giants. They were greatly intimidated. They realized that they were ill-equipped. The other nations had fortresses. Sometimes they had double walls. And they had chariots. They had seasoned warriors. And who were they in Egypt? They were merely slaves. They were merely shepherds. What could they possibly do against these mighty nations? And so this first generation of Israelites shrunk back. And they decided that, you know what? This is not for us. In fact, they wanted to go back to Egypt. And because of that disobedience, because of their lack of faith, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 long years. Do you know that at a certain point, they were just merely an 11 days journey, journey to be able to enter into the land of Canaan. But sadly, that 11 days turned out to be 40 years. And sometimes isn't that true with many of our lives. Sometimes we are on the brink of receiving the blessing of God, the favor of God. Sometimes we're just a stone's throw away from the blessing or the goodness or the favor of God upon us. But then because of lack of faith, the result is disobedience. That is always the case. Every form disobedience that we commit against God is actually a sign of a lack of faith in the Lord. And this is what happens to us oftentimes. We look at our circumstances, we look at our situation, we look at our difficulties, our adversities, we look at our resources, we look at what we have and we realize we don't have much. But then we have the promises of God. We have the faithfulness of God to bank on, the steadfast love of God to bank on. But many of us are not willing to trust God. And the result of that is disobedience. And disobedience brings us into a whole life of misery. 40 years, and guess what happens? In those 40 years, the first generation dies. The whole generation, the whole first generation dies, except for whom? Except for two men. We're talking about Joshua and Caleb. And why did they survive? They survived because they had faith that God would be able to cause them to conquer the land of Canaan. And because they were believers, because they had faith, God made them survive. Guess what? Even Moses was not able to enter the land of Canaan. Why? Because of all the grumbling and the complaining of the people, it finally got into him. And when it got into Moses, he was greatly provoked. When God told him to merely speak to the stone, he struck the stone in anger. It finally, his nerves were finally affected. And so the result was he was not able to enter the land of Canaan. But God allowed him to stand on Mount Nebo. Now, in our trips to Israel, one of the places we go to would be the Jordan side. And one of the places we, we actually went to was Mount Nebo. This was the, the spot where Moses stood. And on a clear day, actually, when you stand on Mount Nebo, You can actually see all the way to Jerusalem, and that's quite far. And so God made Moses stand on Mount Nebo for him to see the promised land, but God said, you will not be able to enter. You know, a lot of believers are like that. A lot of believers are standing on Mount Nebo. They see the blessing. They see the land flowing with milk and honey. They see the vineyards. They see the houses. They see the great blessing of God. And yet, sadly, many people remain in Mount Nebo. They're not able to enter the land of Canaan. I hope that is not true for us, most especially this 2020. I hope that you and I are not merely going to stand on Mount Nebo And look at all the blessings that God has for us and yet not receive it. I pray that not only will we be able to survey the land, to survey the blessings that God has for us, but that we might be able to enter the land flowing with milk and honey. That we might be able to enter the rest of the Lord, the favor of God, the blessing of God, the goodness of God. That is my prayer for you this 2020. So Moses died on the other side of the Jordan. And God himself was the one who who buried him. And so the one who replaced him was Joshua. Joshua had been prepared. He had been mentored well by Moses. And he was ready to bring the people into the land of Canaan. By this time, it was now the second generation that had replaced first generation. The first generation of warriors numbered to about 600,000 strong and able men. The second generation was the same. They were also about 600,000. And so as they were on uh, that uh, place where they saw the River Jordan, it was the flood season. And during the flood season, You know, the the water reaches an enormous height. And the water really is is like a rushing torrent because it comes all the way from the mountains of the Judean desert, the mountains, and, and all the water just flows down the River Jordan. So it is really a rushing torrent. You cannot cross that. You would die. But God performs another miracle on water. He dams up the water somewhere in the north, and as he dams up the water on the north, all of a sudden the water started to recede, and the people of Israel were able to cross once again. We don't know if it was completely dry ground, perhaps there was still a little water, but they were able to cross through it. But then God asks them, Or Joshua asks them to do something that was absolutely illogical. And that's where we find our story, which we just read. Joshua asks them to be circumcised. Because, again, they were not circumcised all these 40 years. Now, here's the big question for the nation at that time. Are you willing to believe God for the impossible? Are you willing to believe God for the impossible because it is the perfect will of God in spite of the fact that your situation leaves you at risk? In spite of the fact that your situation leaves you seemingly unprotected in enemy's territory? The second, of course, was, are you willing to pay the cost? Because circumcision definitely is painful. So let me just give you an outline of what we will be studying today, the five R's. So let me just show to you what we will be talking about. In verses 2 to 3, we're going to talk about the radically unthinkable. I call it the five R's. And then in verses four to five, we're going to talk about the rational. In verse six, we're going to do a review of their tragic history. And then in verses seven to nine, we're going to talk about the requirement. And finally, from Joshua chapter six onwards, we're going to talk about their reward. Don't worry. We won't tackle the entire book of Joshua. I'll just give you a brief survey. Anyway, let's dive into our text right now and let's talk about the radically unthinkable in Joshua 5 verses 2 and 3 at this time. It says, At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make for yourself flint knives and circumcise again the sons of Israel the second time. Now, obviously, you don't get circumcised a second time around. So what this is talking about is the second generation. This is not the first generation. The first generation had passed away. Now we're talking about the second generation. So that's what it means when it says "Circumcise again the sons of Israel the second time. Verse 3. So Joshua made himself flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeah Haraloth. Now, the sign, now what's the big fuss about circumcision? Why the big deal about circumcision? Well, it was the sign that the Israelites were God's chosen people. That is why they had to go through this ritual because it was the external sign that they were God's covenant people, God's chosen people. It actually began with the story of Abraham in chapter 17, beginning at verse 10. So could you please have a look at Genesis chapter 17, verse 10. And it goes, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you, every male among you, Shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants, they too would be circumcised. By the way, a little trivia, which you can ask Dr. Redulia later on. Why the eighth day? Because it it is the time when you circumcise a male child, it is the time wherein there is less bleeding and the healing comes a lot faster. And so again, here we find the wisdom of God. But then again, the main point really here is that this was God's covenant sign. This is God saying most, I'm sorry, Abraham, if you are to be my people, if you are going to be my chosen one, you need to be circumcised. This is going to be my sign that you are my covenant people. Now, when you go to the Levitical or the Mosaic law, this was continued on. This was supposed to be for all generations, for all time. So have a look at Leviticus chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, When a woman gives birth and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean. For seven days, as in the days of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. On the eighth day, again, eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Now, we understand that the people of Israel really had no choice. They were God's chosen people. And if they were God's chosen people, and if they were going to be obedient, they had to be circumcised. They had no choice they had no option. But here's the big question. Why now? Why now when they had just crossed the River Jordan and they were now in enemy's territory? Why not before crossing the River Jordan? Because after all, it was flood season and And once again, the water, the Jordan River, would have served as a natural barrier. It would have served as a natural fortress for the people of Israel because they were on the other side. But now they had crossed to the other side. They were now in enemy's territory. And God was telling them, you need to be circumcised right now. Why now? That would have put them at serious risk. And once again, here's what we see with our God. Many times, God brings us into a place wherein we are seemingly, seemingly unprotected. A place wherein we're practically helpless. A place where you and I are at our wit's end. But that's God. That's God telling us that that we need Him, that we need to be desperate for Him, that we need Him to help us and protect us. We need Him in our lives. And so again, it takes a step of faith for you to be able to do that. Because as the males here very well know, when you get circumcised, there's a lot of pain involved in it for several days, maybe even weeks. Of course, I cannot relate to that because I was circumcised when I was a baby boy. So I don't know the pain. But I had some friends who were about to enter their teenage years and they were circumcised. And I could just sympathize with them with the pain that they had to go through. I recall them being circumcised and wearing these skirts. They they were not wearing shorts. They were not wearing pants because it would have been extremely painful. Touching the cloth would have been painful. So I see them wearing these skirts and I see them walking around like this. And I had a blast just just laughing at their situation. So I, I have to thank my father for having me circumcised when I was still a baby. But anyway, that's the situation. Try to imagine the nation of Israel. We're talking about 600,000 men. 600,000 men who were circumcised and they were in enemy's territory. How would you feel if you were in their shoes? It would have been a largely difficult situation. And so again, it requires a lot of faith. Now, they were sitting ducks in this situation. And actually, they knew from history what this could bring about. If you recall, if you go back all the way to Genesis, if you remember Jacob and his 12 sons and their families, they went into the land of Hebites. They just came from where Laban was and they had left him and they were now in the land of the Hevites. Jacob had a beautiful daughter by the name of Dinah. And the prince of the land by the name of Shechem was attracted to the daughter of Jacob. To make a long story short, he committed a heinous crime by raping Dinah but he was greatly attracted to this woman and he wanted to marry Dinah so he approaches Jacob and his sons and he he makes a proposal that he would he would marry Dinah she would become part of his household and they could live in the land they could trade they could do business with each other and so Everybody will live happily ever after. That was the proposal. Now, obviously, that did not sit well, most especially with the sons of Jacob, particularly Judah and Simeon. And so they schemed. They came up with a plan with a desire to to exact vengeance against Shechem. So they come up with a counter proposal and they say, all right, You want to marry our sister, Dinah? We will allow that. We can make that happen. And if you want us to live in the land, trade with you, marry with you, well, fine, all right. But on one condition. You all need to be circumcised. All the males need to be circumcised because we cannot have any dealings with anybody. We cannot live and dwell with anybody unless they are circumcised as well. So guess what? Shechem because he was madly in love, or maybe should we say he was madly lusting after Dinah, decided, yeah, fine. And he said, well, after all, what do we have to lose? These people have lots of livestock. They, they have a lot of supply and, and we, can, we, can, we can just barter with them. And, and later on, we can enrich ourselves. So yeah, why not? Circumcision, no big deal. So that's exactly what happens. They have their circumcision. And right after that, you find a massacre of great proportion. And I'm just bringing you to that point in Genesis 34, 25, just to describe to you what happened during that time. Genesis 34, beginning at verse 25. It says, Now it came about on the third day, when they were in pain... The two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, so let me just correct myself, I said Judah a while ago, it's Levi. Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came upon the city unawares and killed every male. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went forth. Jacob's sons came upon the slain and looted the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds and their donkeys and that which was in the city and that which was in the field. And they captured and looted all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives, even all that was in the houses. So remember this, they knew the history. The people of Israel knew the history. They knew that if they had themselves circumcised in enemy's territory, they could end up in the same boat. 600,000 of them could be massacred. And all the rest of their children, their wives, and their livestock, and their properties, they will be taken by the armies of the foreign land. So that was the risk that was involved. So the big question, once again, is what's the rational? Aside from the fact that it was something that was required of God. Take a look at verses 4 and 5 right now as we review the rational. It says, this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war died in the wilderness along the way after they came out of Egypt. For all the people who came out were circumcised, but all the people who were born in the wilderness along the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. So what had happened here was the first generation had died and now their sons were stepping up to the plate. They were now the warriors. They were now the army of God. The problem was they were not circumcised, which was really a sign of neglect on the part of the parents. For after all, the parents had the Levitical and the Mosaic law. After all, they knew about the story of Abraham, that it was God's covenant sign. Yet these parents were not responsible enough to have their children circumcised. So this was really a sign of neglect, a sign of disobedience on the part of the parents. And by the way, just as a sidebar that tells us that we parents have a very great role in raising up our children. Let us make sure that we do not neglect our duty with our own children such that it happens that they actually desert the God whom we serve, love, and believe in. And so it is really sad that these people had neglected this sign. They were really a disobedient bunch. It shows here their irresponsibility. Also, they probably didn't care. When they learned from Moses that Your generation is going to die. You will not be able to enter the land of Canaan. They were probably thinking, "All right, so if we're not going to enter the land of Canaan, what need is there for our children to be circumcised? Our God has abandoned us. At least that was what they thought. The failure actually was not on the part of God. The failure was was on their part. But then they were so angry probably with God that they decided... We're not going to have our children circumcised. Joshua, however, had decided to make things right. Just try to imagine Joshua and Caleb wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. And all throughout those 40 years, Joshua and Caleb were thinking, if only the 10 other spies who went with us into the land of Canaan did not give a bad report, we would not be living in tents. We would not be living in the desert. We would now be in the land of Canaan, wherein we would have houses that we did not build, vineyards that we did not plant. We would now enjoy the fruit of the land. But here we are in the wilderness, living in tents, living in misery, continually eating manna, for 40 years, this is, this is the staple food that we have. Joshua must have been thinking that all along because even though he had faith, even though he and Caleb had faith, they too had to suffer the consequences of a nation that was disobedient to God. Isn't that true also, brothers and sisters? Even though we might live a righteous life, Even though we live a godly life, sometimes we too have to suffer the consequences because of the sinful choices of certain people. Remember that we are a community. Remember that God doesn't just deal with us as individuals, but He deals with us as well as an assembly, as a corporation, as a congregation, as an assembly. And sometimes the sins of certain people can affect us as well, even though we might be innocent and we might be righteous. Such was what had happened to Joshua. And in his mind, he was saying, I'm not going to make the same mistake all over again. I'm old already. Probably by this time, Joshua must have been how old? Maybe 60 years old. Maybe 65, we don't know. And he was thinking, how long will I live? How long will I live? Another 40 years in the wilderness, I'd I'd be dead. I don't want to stay in the wilderness for another 40 years. I want to be able to enter the land of Canaan. So if circumcision is needed, then let it so be. If, If God, this is what you want, I'm not going to disobey you. Let all these 600,000 able men be circumcised, Lord. I'm not going to make the same mistake that the first generation made. He had decided to make things right. And friends, you know, there are certain things that we learn from the mistakes of certain people. And sadly, sometimes the sad thing about history is when we never learn the lessons of history. That's why we go back in, in cycles of sin and suffering, and then we pray. There's supplication, then salvation, but then we go back to sin, and then suffering once again. It's an endless cycle. But Joshua was saying, enough is enough. I've had it. I'm going to enter the land of Canaan. If we're going to be conquerors, we've got to start right. And what needs to happen is we need to circumcise you all here in enemy's territory because that is what God wants. So, as we review the tragic history of Israel, here's what we find out. Look at verse 6, please. It says, For the sons of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation that is the men of war who came out of Egypt perished because they did not listen to the voice of the Lord. Could you say this with me? They perished, say it louder please. They perished because they did not listen to the voice of the Lord. Say it once again. Because they did not listen to the voice of the Lord. One more time. Because they did not listen to the voice of the Lord. Yesterday, I was exchanging messages with a dear friend. Somebody whom I had mentored when I was still in Manila and I was handling the Young Adults Ministry. I was mentoring him. My wife and I were mentoring him and his wife. They were dear friends to us, but something happened. And my friend just messaged me yesterday. He said, I have abandoned my family and I regret all the things that I've done. I've, it's all my fault. It's all my fault. I abandoned my family and I am now suffering. If, when I remember all the things that I have done, I just start crying and I just start weeping. And in that message, he just repeated himself about twice. And I just realized the pain that he was going through, the pain of failure, the pain of a tragic life. And, and where did that pain begin? It began because he did not listen to the voice of the Lord. And oftentimes, we we fail to realize that the Christian life is really very simple. It is all about listening to the voice of the Lord and obeying the voice of the Lord. But oftentimes, even though we might be able to listen to the voice of the Lord, we refuse to obey the voice of the Lord. And what is the result? The result is misery and tragedy and adversity and suffering. Suffering which should not be... Ours in the first place, but it happens as a consequence of our disobedience. I just had to comfort my friend. I just said, there's forgiveness in God. And he just had to add, yes, he said, it's all about grace. The grace of God will always be available. But it doesn't mean that you will not suffer the consequences of your sinful choices. This is the reason for the tragic history of Israel. The first generation did not listen to the voice of the Lord. They did not have faith, and thus they did not enter the promised land. The failure was not the failure of God. God was going to deliver on His promises. Remember this, God is not a liar. When He makes a promise, He will deliver. God is not a liar. When He says something to you, He will fulfill it. But the big question is, do you have the faith to believe it? Second question, are you willing to pay the cost? Because that's the only way we can be blessed. Which brings us, friends, to the requirement. It again goes full circle back to the requirement. And we find this in verse 7, please. they have a look at verse 7, please. It says, their children, verse 7, whom he raised up in their place, Joshua, circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them along the way. So there are three things I see here. For them to be willing to undergo circumcision in enemy's territory, it only meant one thing. They had faith to believe that in this helpless situation, God would still protect them. When God asks you to do something and there's a risk involved, are you willing to believe God that He will protect you and He will preserve you in the midst of a danger? This was what they were willing to believe. Second, they believed that God was going to make them conquer the land that he had promised to Abraham. Again, the promise was just there. The land was just there. The land did not move. The land was not erased. The land was there. It was there for the taking. And they believed God. Yes, we believe that God is going to give us this land. If our fathers did not believe it, then we will believe it. And we will conquer the land. Third, they were willing to pay the cost Because circumcision meant pain. Pain before gain, circumcision before conquest. Could you say this with me? Circumcision before conquest. Say it again. Circumcision before conquest. For the last time, circumcision before conquest. Pain before gain. One of my favorite authors, J. Sidlow Baxter says about this passage. Listen well, and it's really wonderful. Strange as it may seem, he says, the first experience in the land of blessing is one of pain, though the pain is soon over. Before ever the covenant people draw the sword against the foe, God draws the knife upon them. Therefore, that which has been neglected during the 40 years wandering now becomes imperative. Circumcision is re-enjoined as the seal of the covenant between God and Israel. Israel's sons were to carry in their very persons this mark of their separatedness. Moreover, although much of the symbolic and typical meaning of things in the Israelite economy must have been unperceived by the Israelites themselves. They were left in no doubt as to the moral, listen well, and spiritual significance of circumcision. Continuing on, this is what he says. Moses himself had exhorted them, circumcise therefore your heart. Say this with me. Circumcise... Therefore, your heart. Once again, circumcise, therefore, your heart. For the last time, circumcise, therefore, your heart. So, this is not just a mere external ritual, there was a spiritual significance attached to this. So, anyway, continuing on with J. Sidlow Baxter. He says, circumcise therefore your heart and be no more stiff-necked. Deuteronomy 10, verse 16. The Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart to love the Lord thy God. Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 6. And passages like Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 to 13 make the New Testament interpretation quite clear. It is that putting off of the flesh that sharp pruning of the natural desires which accompanies God's chastening in the soul. The Israelites must carry Gilgal's abiding mark of their fuller separation. Even so with ourselves, that soul crisis of death and burial to selfism of which the Jordan is the type must be perpetuated by that continuous denial of the flesh of which circumcision speaks. This may mean a pang or pain at first, but it is soon over. For God's deeper work in us when we blow at inbred sin and so renews the desires of the heart that the first sharp pang of daily dying to the flesh is quickly lost, in the thrill of new fellowship with God on the resurrection ground of entire sanctification. So we're not just talking here about an external ritual. We're not even talking. I mean, if we talk about the Philippine nation, for example, circumcision is actually very ordinary and very common in regard to Filipino males. And so we're not talking about that. That is not the significance that we would like to to glean a principle from. We'd like to glean the principle that circumcision has a spiritual significance. Jeremiah himself states the significance in Jeremiah 4, verse 4, when he says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and remove the foreskins of your heart men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, or else my wrath will go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. Romans chapter 2 verse 29 says, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. So again, this is really the significance of this particular passage. This is the lesson wherein I'd like to glean certain principles in our lives. It is not enough that you know God's perfect will. It is not enough that you know that God is faithful and God is steadfast. We need to understand that when it comes to the matter of sanctification, it is synergistic, meaning to say it involves our participation and our cooperation. The big question I'd really like to ask each and every one of us, are we willing to be circumcised in our hearts? Are we willing to go through the pain of sanctification? Are we willing, my dear brothers and sisters, to follow and obey God and to pay the cost of sanctification? Sometimes we fail to realize that a lot of us are already on quicksand. Our spiritual lives, so to speak, are on quicksand. My wife just read a commentary that there are two kinds of quicksand. One quicksand is the moment you enter into that area, you would immediately sink. And the more you struggle, the lower you go. But there is a type of quicksand wherein if you just keep on walking, if you just keep on moving forward, you will not sink. And let me tell you this, brothers and sisters, that's the Christian life that we are in. We are under threat because of the flesh. We are under threat because of the temptations of the world. We are under threat because of demonic forces that seek to destroy us. We are really walking on quicksand. And so what do we do? We walk as quickly as we could. We press forward. We move forward. Because the moment we move forward, we will not sink. But a lot of us have simply remained where we are. We are on maintenance mode and we're sinking and we don't even know it. Our spiritual lives are at peril. God wants to bless us. God wants His favor to be upon us. God wants His goodness to be upon us. But God cannot bless us because we are disobedient. Because we have chosen not to grow. We have chosen not to become mature in our faith. We're simply on maintenance mode. That's not the way to be blessed. If you and I are going to be blessed this 2020, you better be intentional about circumcising your heart. So the big question is this. Are you willing to be obedient even if it means pain? If it means parting away from certain things that are harmful to your soul? Secondly, we have to be willing to walk in holy separation. The Bible says that we are light, we are sons of light, and people in the world are are the sons of darkness. There is no similarity between light and darkness. But many times we live our lives as if we are sons of darkness instead of sons of light. There is no appeal or attraction to us when it comes to spiritual things. We have lost our spiritual appetite. There is no longer any spiritual hunger and thirst in us. We're simply content on being on maintenance mode. And we think we're fine. We think we're all right. No, we need to keep on moving forward. We need to press forward. Christ died for us. We no longer own ourselves. We no longer own our lives. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God has chosen us. He has bought us with his redemption price, with his own precious blood. For what? For nothing? No, he bought us with his precious blood. That we might become more and more like Him. That's the goal. Otherwise, this life really, if you think about it, it's really empty and hollow. If you're living for this life, what do you get out of this life? Money? Fame? House? Car? Promotion? So what? Do you take that when you die? No, you don't. We leave everything behind. One thing you take with you to the next life is your relationship with God. It's your intimacy with God. It's your sanctification with God. Amen? Those are the things you bring with you. And you want to be able to, to go to heaven And God, to be able to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? That's all that really matters and that's all we should really live for. Amen? Amen? Amen. Give the Lord a big hand, please. So here's what needs to happen. We need to excise the idols of our hearts. Now, what's an idol? It's not just an image stone or wood. It's anything that, that sits above God. It is anything that we have greater affection in comparison to our love for God. Now is there anything that's more important to you than than God Himself? You need to excise that from yourself. It's an idol. We need to be willing to die to ourselves. And remember this, the Lord The Lord has has destined us for the cross. In the same way that Christ was crucified, we need to crucify the old self. Bible says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. The new has come. We need to be willing to choose God over ourselves. And oftentimes, the truth of the matter is, given a choice between God and ourselves, we always choose ourselves. We choose God. We choose God over money, we choose God over fame, we choose God over a house, we choose God over possessions, we choose God all the time. Because God is the only being that really matters for us. Amen? All the things that we have there, they're just bonuses. Praise God for, for what He gives to us. He's so gracious and so generous. But remove everything, there's only one that remains, and that is God. And He is the absolute essential, amen, that all of us desperately, desperately need. Amen? He's the one that we desperately need. So we need to take the route that brings us into intimacy with God. Here's the question I have for you. Are you willing to yield to God's pruning process? John 15 verse 1 and 2 reads, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, what does he do? He prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. My my grandfather, was highly educated um, he studied in University of Washington, but he devoted his life into agriculture. He became a professor in uh, the University of the Philippines and worked with the Department of Agriculture because he felt that this was one way wherein he could make a significant contribution to our country. And I recall, you know, that he had certain fruit trees in, in the backyard and in the front yard. And at times I, I would see him pruning a branch or pruning a tree. And I was always wondering why he was seemingly harming. The tree, only to know that he was not really harming it, he was really making it bear more fruit. And this is exactly what is being taught here. And sometimes, because we're hardened in our hearts, because we're stiff necked, because we're stubborn, guess what? God prunes us. And he prunes us for a good purpose that you and I might bear fruit and more fruit and much fruit. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5, all the way down, it talks about a pruning process, which we call as discipline. And it says here, and you, verse 5, and you have forgotten the exhortation, which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by Him. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you endure, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Or they discipline us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, so that we may share His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful, yet... To those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So there you have it. The pruning process of God, which is called the discipline. And according to the book of Hebrews, you know, there are three ways to respond to the discipline of God. One, we could take it lightly. We could say, Lord, I don't really care about your discipline, Lord. doesn't hurt me one bit. Bring it on, Lord. I can take it. Some people take the discipline of God lightly. Others, on the other hand, faint, the Bible says. They faint. You know how it is when a person faints. Some people can't take the discipline of God. They just drop dead when they're disciplined by the Lord. But here's the third way we should respond. We should yield to the discipline of the Lord. And why should we? Because it's a sign of sonship. It's a sign that you are a son and a daughter of God. If God disciplines you, hallelujah. It is an evidence. It is the mark of sonship and being a son and daughter of God. So hallelujah. Amen. Give the Lord a big hand. Secondly, it is a sign that God loves you. Now who doesn't want to be loved? We all need love, most especially love from God. And the love of God is such that He will not allow you to continue in your disobedience and in your stubborn ways. He will just stop you on your tracks and spank you just to bring you back and so that you align yourself into the will of God. So if I were you, I would yield myself to the discipline of God. And friends, I have something to say. Some people say, well, how come I don't get disciplined by the Lord? I do a lot of crazy things, a lot of reckless things. And guess what? Life is good. Well, here's bad news for you. The Bible says you're not a son. You are illegitimate. Would you rather be... An illegitimate person. Now remember this, just because you're not being punished right now, doesn't mean you will not be punished later. Because there is a lake of fire. There is a Jehanna. And you better make sure that you are truly a child of God. Yesterday, a father and a son had a very strong conversation. And it was a conversation about values. And it seemed like the son did not own the values of the father. And the father had to be up front with his own son and said, maybe you're not a Christian. And sometimes we we have to be upfront with certain people, if only to shock them into their senses, for them to realize we're not playing games here. This is not a religious game that we're having here, wherein we're singing songs and playing with instruments and You know, just listening to the sermon as if this was a spectacle of some sort or entertainment for us. No, this is the real thing. We live in a real world with a real God and this real God will deal with us in real time and in a real way. And we have got to understand that if we don't, set things right God will make it right one way or another and it might be painful for some of us but here's the good thing look at verses 8 and 9 and I close with this now when they had finished circumcising the nation they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed then the Lord said to Joshua Today, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. So I find that since there is spiritual significance attached to circumcision, we can probably draw an illustration and an analogy here. That in the same manner that the people of Israel who were circumcised, God healed, God is going to heal our pain as well. Sanctification is never an easy process. It's difficult. It's painful. You go through times of hurt and pain and difficulty, but it is absolutely needed. But here's God's comfort for you. Whatever pain you're going through, God is going to heal that in His time. Amen? He's going to heal that. And secondly, more than that, in the same way that the stain of Egypt was removed or the reproach of Egypt was removed from Israel when they were circumcised, the stain of the world, when our hearts are circumcised, will also be removed from us. And when people see us, they will see God they will see Christ in us and many of them will turn to the Lord. Which brings us to the final part, which is the reward. And the reward was the conquest of the land of Canaan. Again, let me bring you back to the armies that were in that area. You're talking about fortresses, high fortresses. You're talking about double walls. You're talking about chariots. You're talking about giants. You're talking about seasoned warriors. And you're talking about not just one nation, but several nations in the land of Canaan. What are the chances that you would win? What are the chances that Israel would win? But because they were obedient to God and they allowed themselves to be circumcised in the flesh and in their hearts, God gave them victory. First, they crossed the River Jordan, sliced the north and the southern part of the land. They conquered the central area, first of all, Jericho, which was highly secure, but the walls fell down because of their shout and they destroyed Jericho. And then they destroyed Ai. When they conquered the central area, they had effectively sliced the kingdom or the nations into two parts. And now they could deal with them much easier. And so they go down south and they conquer those nations. And after they conquer those nations, they go up north and they conquered as well all those nations. When you think about that, it's really sad that Moses just stood on Mount Nebo, and just saw it. Some of us are just like that. We're just standing on Mount Nebo. We see what God is doing on the horizon. We see how God is blessing his people. But we become aliens to those blessings. Why? Because we have not chosen to have our hearts circumcised. But to the people who make this decision, Lord, I'm yours, circumcise my heart, cleanse and wash me from the stain of this world, make me a distinct person. Not only will you be able to see the land from afar, you will be able to enter it. You will enter the land of rest. The promises of God shall be fulfilled in your case. And you will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Amen. For the God that we serve never abandons His people. The God that we serve always supplies the needs of His people. The God that we serve always delivers and always heals. That is the God that you and I serve. Our God rose from the grave and is seated at the right hand of the Father and He is alive and is ready to bless His people. And so the big question is, are you willing to pay the cost? Are you willing to believe God for the impossible but that which is His perfect will? Whatever God has promised to us as a church, Or as individuals, we will be able to lay claim to victory. But circumcision first before conquest. The crown of thorns before the winner's crown. The crucifixion before the resurrection. Pain first before gain. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand, please. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes at this time. Oh, how you love your people, oh God. Your love is immeasurable. No height, no depth, no width could be able to measure the love that you have for your people. Your love is so huge, so humongous, so infinite, so eternal. Our hearts cannot even contain the bigness of that love. Our minds could not even fathom the height, the width, the depth of that love. I can't even imagine how, how it looks like. But Lord, your love was on clear display when Christ died on the cross while we were still your enemies. be chosen, to be elected, to be called sons and daughters, to have our names written in the book of life, to have all of our sins forgiven, past, present, and future. What can we possibly say except amazing grace now sweep the sound Yet, Lord, how many times have we spurned and rejected and even despised your love? How many times have we chosen to turn our backs when your arms were reaching out to embrace us, just like the father was reaching out to embrace the prodigal son? But we chose to turn our backs, we chose to eat swine's food. Instead of food on the Father's table. How many times, just like Peter, have we denied you, Lord? Disowned you? Became ashamed of you? How many times, like Judas, did we sell you for for 30 pieces of silver? Only to regret it. O Lord, our lives are bound with your life. You have graciously meshed our human lives with your life, the eternal God. How that is even possible is beyond us. And Lord, help us, Lord, to see Because many of us are blind, and many of us are deaf, and many of us are dense of heart and dull of heart. Remove the reproach of Egypt from us. Remove the stain and the soil and the dirt of our lives. Whatever it is that dirtied us up in 2019, oh God, may we just leave it behind like, like an old worn out clothing. May we just abandon it. And may we start wearing clothes of of righteousness. Clothes that, that bear the image of your light. And may we reflect in our countenance your goodness, your love, your faithfulness. We welcome 2020 with great excitement and anticipation. And we ask, O God, that, that you lead us along the way. Thank you, Lord, for this church. You love this church, O oh God. And you love the people here. We pray, Father, that all of your good plans might take place in our church and for us as individuals. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your message. May it not go to waste. And Father... Whatever has been achieved today, we give you back the glory, the praises, and thanks. And we thank you also for the opportunity to give our tithes, our grace gifts, our offerings. Lord, use them for the glory of your holy name. In Jesus' blessed name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand.